listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. I'd like to just kind of keep going with what we've been studying uh, on church leadership, because, I mean, it's just us. Uh, it's just it, it's just us. So it's not like, uh, you know, that, that we're... Um, preaching to a bunch of folks who don't know who we are. So, you know, since it's just us, let's just, if it's all right, let's just keep going. Um, because the, the beat goes on and, and we're still excited about the prospects of installing a, a new elder at Oasis Church. And we want everybody to, to understand what church leadership means to us. How, how do we take what, what God has said in his word and how do we, how do we put that to practice um, in, in the congregation and, and uh, you know, and in the time that we live in. So we've already seen the last couple of weeks, you saw first his establishment. So we just laid the ground, you know, the ground foundation that, that the church belongs to God. He owns it. But not only that, he's the, uh, the, the chief everything officer. He's the CEO. He, he leads the church in the person of, of Christ. He, he's the head. And so he truly is the leader uh, of not only the big church, but but all of the local churches as well, and then also we saw that uh, that he does raise up representatives to to lead uh, for him and and to uh, uh, to lead on his behalf under under his leadership, and, and and that he's been doing that throughout human history as he's uh, interacted with his creation from the beginning. So we saw his establishment, and then last week we talked about. His representatives, and I, and I know that that was a lot last week, a lot of terms, a lot of meanings, a lot of scripture um, to think about, especially in the New Testament, you know, where do we find where God is identifying these people that are to, to be his representative leaders in the context of local church ministry. And we boiled it down to, to two main uh, words that are used. Well, actually three words that re, re, uh, refer to, um, uh, to the, uh, the office of, of, of leader. We, we called them elder. We said they are the, the bishop overseer. And then that one word uh, used the one time in Ephesians where it talks about pastors and teachers. Uh, shepherds. So we identified those. And so we looked and we said, okay, what is it that we learn about what God's saying to these individuals? And and basically it is that, that they are called, they are set apart. They are chosen by God and equipped to, to lead the body spiritually, to, to care for, to, um, to, to train, to equip. They, they've been given the responsibility to, bring people into a, a, a place where they are, are living a mature life, that they are reflecting the character of Jesus, and then they are able to turn around and make more disciples. So church leaders are, are called to, to teach the people how to make disciples, because that's what we've been called to do, and, and we boil that down to, to two words, and that is reach and teach. Well, how do we reach and teach? Well, that's the responsibility of the leadership, is to train the believers how to reach and teach. So to kind of summarize all of that, we'll say it this way. God's representative leaders in the local church are elders and overseers. Elders and overseers are chosen by God through other elders and overseers. Deacons, when we just talked about that word for just a few minutes last week, deacons assist elders and overseers 
at their request. Both elders and overseers and deacons must be proven, okay? That's going to be important to what we're talking about today. They must be proven to meet God's quality standard as identified in the New Testament. Okay, so how do you how do you prove an elder? Now, I don't know what church tradition that you come from, but but if you even come from a church tradition, maybe maybe this one's the only one that you know. Uh, every church does their leadership appointment a little different. Maybe there's some, some some similarities when it comes to denominational choosing. And depending on how strict the denomination, uh, some, sometimes it's 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 very strict how they do this, and that's true across the board of all churches that are of this particular denomination or that. But everybody does it a little bit different, and and everybody's looking to the same principles of God's word to try to make sense of this. So when we boil it down and we just say, you know what, we don't believe God's word tells us exactly how we're to put this process to work, we do believe that there are some things that it does say specifically that are objective that we can look at and go, no, this is what God says, this is what God said then, and we have no reason to believe that that's not what God means to all generations, okay? So that applies to the qualification. So first week we saw his, talking about God's, God's establishment. And then last week we saw his representative, God's representatives. And so this week we're going to see his qualification. What are God's qualifications for leaders? And we're going to split this apart into uh, the things that we call objective qualifications and what we would call subjective qualifications. Objective qualifications means we find it in the scripture. It's written down. It's black and white. It is God's word directed to us. The subjective qualifications are more how we think as human beings trying to figure out what this means and how we put these things to work in our context. And we'll get to that in a minute. All right, so let's just jump into it, okay? Let's jump right into it. What are the biblical objective qualifications for church leadership? And before I go there, um, you should be able to find this on version, the outline, like normal. But if you don't have our Oasis Church app, please make sure that you do that because it, it's connected to the notes and it's all kinds of, you know, you get notifications. In fact, I, I sent notifications out about this whole COVID thing. So make sure you get the app. So if you got that and follow the outline, we'll jump into it. The biblical qualifications for church leadership. All right, the first one I know is going to be super, super controversial, okay? And... Not because it's controversial, because I just don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time in it. I'm just going to hit it, I'm going to address it, and we're going to move on. The first one is, it seems to us, on our understanding of Scripture, that the role, and hear me again, the role of elder, bishop, overseer, the role of those, of those chosen for church leadership at the, at the elder level, is a male exclusive thing. Now I know that creates all kinds of controversy, okay? Uh, because I realized that for centuries and, and, and throughout human existence, um, in, in many, if not most cultures, women have been seen and treated as secondary individuals. And that's just not okay. That's not how God designed it. That's not how God intends for us to interact as uh, as human beings, but that is certainly how 
the sinfulness of man. You remember in the garden, God said to, to Eve, you're going you're gonna to want to master your husband and, and your husband is going to use his power and dominate you. It's a part of our sin nature that there is that struggle and that strife. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to uh, overtly demonstrate how valuable women are. He began to break most of the norms of even his time, giving uh, validity, uh, giving worth and special opportunity to different women that he came into contact with and, and that were a part of the ministry with him. And we see in the New Testament that Paul had, uh, he, he gave praise to a number of different women who were a part of the, the team of ministry that was, that was going about in his missionary journeys. And, 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 and there's just, there's no way for me to, to say enough that there is no inequality between men and women as God sees us. He sees us as equal before him. He sees us as equally valuable. He sees us as, as, as uh, equally loved and needed. And, and, and he's, he's actually created us to need one another because we're not complete in and of ourselves. Now, I get that. And, and, and I think we laid that foundation down for, um, the, you know, in our study of Ephesians, how that, you know, listen, the wife is not to submit the husband because he's better than her. The wife submits to the husband just because that's how God designed it. That's just how God designed it to work. And she can submit to him because he's in turn called to sacrifice himself for her. So that when the two of those are working together in tandem, it's actually not a strife thing at all. It's actually a very beautiful, very mutually submissive um, opportunity that God gives us to reflect how he is himself and how he designs that relationship between him and, and us his creation. So I lay this out because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 to 35, Paul makes some very stark statements about how church leadership ought to be done, or, or, or more specifically, how the public worship service or, or the public gathering of worship ought to be held. And I know that there are some cultural aspects in those passages, and, and, and listen, they're, they're packed, they're full, they're, they're ready to debate, and they're uh, arguably uh, not slam dunk, cut and dry, you really got to work hard in those two passages, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14. I would encourage you to read them. Um, those would take a, a series of sermons to unpack. At the end of the day, however, it seems as though with those scriptures, including the two that we're going to deal with today, it seems that it's just the way God designed the leadership of the church to be set apart for qualified males, not because they're better, but in the same keeping of that household dynamic, that just seems to be the way God designed it to be. Now, here's what I want you to know. I know that God raised up some very powerful women in both Old Testament and New Testament and uses them and he used them. And, and I believe that he's using women today. I, I believe that, that God is using women to, to be a help to me, that I need them. And, and, and so does every other male. In fact, I live with one that I discover every year just how much more I needed her than I realized. 
but it seems as though elder, overseer, leader specifically in the local church is designed for men. Now, if that's something you go, Pastor Gavin, I just don't believe that. I think I think a woman a woman ought to be able to serve in that role. I'm not going to argue with you. It's secondary. That's not an essential doctrine. That's just that's just where we land. And so that's what we do. So we see that. Now let's move on. So to get the remaining 18 qualifying characteristics, let's look in First uh, Timothy chapter number three. Verses 1 to 7, and then we're going to jump over to Titus chapter 1, because what Paul's done is he's communicating to both Timothy and Titus. These are two pastors that he left in two locations. Timothy's in Ephesus. Titus is on the island of Crete, and he's telling them how to establish leaderships for local church context, and, and he's giving them the qualifications of who to set apart, who to, who to appoint, who to put in roles of church leadership under shepherds. Elders, bishops, overseers. So, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. Let's just read it. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, this pastor, teacher, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, uh, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So that's what Paul tells to Timothy. The, these are the, the qualifications, these are the character qualities of those that you are to appoint to serve in the leadership roles of the local churches in and around the major city of Ephesus. All right, so then we go to Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete. Titus chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, he says some very similar things to Titus. He says, uh, verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, and he's talking about, in, in, in verse number 5, he says that he wanted to, he, he left him there so that he could appoint elders for the church. He said, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And then verse 9 says, he must hold a firm and trustworthy, uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so that's Paul's instruction to Titus, and, and that's what he told him. To, to Those are the qualifying factors that he said, okay, I want, you to, I want you to identify, I want you to prove believers as qualified to serve in this role as, as elder, overseer, pastor, leader, representative leader in the church on the basis of these 
qualities. And, and, and you'll notice that none of these things have to do with their ability. Now, I think, unfortunately, so many churches today are, are seeking leaders because of their ability, what they bring to the table, what knowledge and, and expertise that they bring. Even when it comes to pastors, hey, you know, we're choosing this guy based on, on, uh, on how he sounds. And, and, and is he a good preacher? Is he not a good preacher? Uh, you know, and, and, and they're not really looking very deep into their, into their character. One of the things I hope you do this morning as we go through this, you know, I hope that you consider me, the, the guy who's in this role at this church. And as we go through these character qualities, I, I hope that you will question, are these true about me? From your observation, from your dealings with me, are these things actually true? And if any of these are not, you, you know what your responsibility is to me? Iron on iron. Iron on iron, you should come to me and say, you know, Pastor Kevin, one of these things you mentioned, and it just doesn't seem very true, but, but we got to make sure that we're not, we're not growing believers who just look to ability. You know, if you think about the Old Testament, you, you know who was the best, most qualified, visible candidate for king in Israel? His name was Saul. He was what they thought they wanted. And you know what he ended up being? Looking the part, but an absolute empty shell of a man. And, and then the one that nobody would have ever picked, even his own dad, David, was chosen by God because of the condition of his heart. So ability and, 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 and things to the table are great but they have to come secondary to the heart. So let's just go through these and, and we'll go through all the qualifications and I'm just going to make mention of, of kind of how we understand them to be. Uh, first, the, the first Timothy, first Timothy three, two says he has to be above reproach. It means having an exceptional reputation among believers. And, and one translation of that word that, that we have for above reproach uh, is called un, unimpeachable. Now, you think about impeachment. What happens when, a, when a, a civic leader is impeached? It's because his constituents have had an aha moment of, oh, my goodness, we thought we knew this guy, but oh, my gosh, look what we have discovered. Look what we have unearthed. What's really up under all of this varnish is this corruption. Um, you know, and, and I don't want to wax political, but wasn't it refreshing? To, to at least, never mind where you fall on whether or not Amy Coney Barrett should have been or should not have been put forward as a Supreme Court justice. That, that doesn't matter. Wasn't it refreshing to see someone sitting at a bench? That, that audience, and you know they tried. You know they looked. You know they went and asked anybody and everybody they could to give them some dirt on that lady. But ultimately, all they could do is just... Talk about how honest and forthright she was, and she stood by everything. Wasn't it refreshing just to see? Wow, what a woman of character. Because you know they dug. You know they looked for some dirt to throw on her. Well, this idea is, is the same. That when you come to look at the person's character, you go, you know what? I got, I got no rocks to throw. I got, I got no dirt to sling. Now, what's awesome about this and, and I'll jump the gun just a little bit. None of us are truly above reproach. All of us have skeleton-filled closets 
We do. We're sinners. We're, we're broken. We all have a past. God's not saying that you're always above reproach, meaning that you don't have anything that could be dug up about you at all. It means, are you walking with me? And are you walking with me in purity? You think about, you think about Paul, would, would he be considered an elder? Of course he would. The guy was, was Al-Qaeda of the first century. He was running down Christians and taking them to jail. He probably was, was responsible for the killing of many followers of Jesus. Is he above reproach from his conversion? Yeah. He had a life change experience and he was walking with God and nobody could, could deny that. He wasn't, he wasn't a hypocrite. He was following Jesus and, and, and he didn't have a little side gig going on. So above reproach, having an exceptional reputation among believers. Second, the husband of one wife. Now, this has been often misunderstood, I believe. Uh, I, I've, most of my life, I've, I've heard most preachers say that this means that you have only been married once, meaning that you've only had one wife. I don't think that's what it means. Now, again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't even remember most of the Greek I learned. But, but one of the things that I do remember is how this, how this little phrase works out. The, the phrase in the Greek is... Uh, uh, one woman, man, but the one is a, a, a an identifier. It's, it's in it's in an adjective, uh, a man of one woman, meaning that he is if he's married, he's faithful to his wedding vows. He he's not he's not someone who's married and then involved with other women around the office, um, flirting with other women in his neighborhood or even engaged in extramarital affairs or activity. He, he manages and watches and is very careful about what he does as it applies to his wedding vows. If he's unmarried, it means he's maintaining sexual maturity. It just means he's a man of, 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 of a one woman man. I personally don't believe that this means if a man has been divorced, he can not serve as an elder. Uh, that, that does not make sense to me. The text is not saying that specifically, and that doesn't make sense when uh, above reproach is not taking into account all of the mistakes that he's made, all the sins that he's committed. When it's talking about right now, I think that this one woman, man, the husband of one wife, means that he's being faithful to his wedding vows. Now, if he's a divorced man, how long has it been since he's divorced? What are the circumstances? That goes into proving, and I think that speaks into his character, but I don't think it disqualifies someone from uh, ever serving. That's just me. Well, actually, I think it's the text too, but nevertheless, we'll move on. He's sober-minded. He means he has a clear focus on life. He's stable. He's steadfast in his thinking. He's temperate. He's not, he's not back and forth across the spectrum here and there. He's self-controlled. He's a man who's discreet. He's sober. He's sensible. He's respectable. Means that he's he has a lifestyle that reflects positively on the gospel. So his lifestyle is not causing people to go, wait a minute, you're you're a Christian? It means he's respectable. He's hospitable. First Timothy 3 says. It says it means having a willingness to share themselves for the benefit of others especially their home and material possessions. They're not greedy. They're, they're willing to share. They're hospitable. They, they care about what's going on, and they want to give them themselves um, to others. They're able to teach. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that, that they, 
that they're preachers. Uh, Mike Moore is one of our uh, is one of our elders, and he he will he will tell you um, not to be on the list of folks that that he wants me to call on to fill in for me when I'm gone uh, on on a weekend or when we're off at Georgia visiting family. But he can teach. He knows the scripture and, and he teaches in a different way. So I don't think this necessarily means that you're a preacher or that you can carry on the, the duties of a classroom. But, but it does mean that you're able to communicate truth effectively in a non-argumentative, non-defensive and non-threatening way. It means you're able to, to handle the scripture and take what God has said and present it without creating a fight. Verse number three, not a drunkard, meaning not an abuser of alcohol or any other addictive behavior. Uh, we throw that any other addictive behaviors because there's, there's more things, there's more substances than just alcohol. But, but it really even extends on to even other things as well that you can be uh, just consumed by. But, but the idea is that you're not, alcohol is not important to you. At, at the very base, it's not important. And one of the things that we always ask any of the folks that are considered as an elder, uh, if, if we say as elders, we're not going to drink at all, is that going to be a problem? Uh, I don't drink at all. That's not, that's that, you know, that's a decision that, that we've made. And that's not, you know, that doesn't mean I never have. And, and yeah, you know, but, but as a practice, that's not what I do. Um, we recognize that scripture leaves room for moderation. Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that wants to know my feelings on what moderation looks like in an American context, but that's for another day. The bottom line is that you're not an abuser of alcohol. You're not violent, meaning you're not allowing anger to lead to aggressiveness or retaliation. You know violent folks, and you know what they look like most of the time, and then all of a sudden they snap and Everybody has to get out of the way. They're not violent. And, and, and the other side of the coin to not being violent means they're gentle. It's the opposite of violent. It's a forbearing, equitable, fair. He's a reasonable man. He's not quarrelsome. He's a man who avoids unnecessary debates and arguments. He's not a lover of money, verse 3. Having a lifestyle that is generous and not materialistic. He manages his own household, his own family, his own household well. That just means that he's fulfilling his role as the spiritual leader of the home. This doesn't mean that an elder has to know the most about the scripture in his house. Buddy, if you're married to a woman who knows the scripture better than you, count your blessings. That's awesome. All she's going to be is a super helper to, to your maturity and to the family, but it does mean that you're not skirting your responsibility and asking her to lead the home just simply because she knows more about the Bible than you do. It's you taking responsibility for the calling God has given on your life, standing up and leading and looking like Jesus when you do it. Manages his family well. He's not a recent convert. He's not a new Christian. He's not an immature Christian. So this is important. If you're, if you're a baby, you, you don't drive because you got to get some life under your belt first. He's well thought of by outsiders. It means ha they have a good reputation outside the church. 
this is the identifier of hypocrisy. You know, there are some folks that in the church, um, well, they're well thought of, but then when you get out into the world, they're seen and understood as somebody completely different. It's important that we know this about a potential candidate. And then we jump to Titus and, and identify some of the things that he says, three of them. He says they're not arrogant. It means they're not a bully who insists on having their own way in everything. And they're not quick-tempered. They're not easily brought to anger. And they hold firmly to, uh, they hold firmly to the trustworthy word. It means they're a man who knows, lives by, and leads others from the truths of Scripture and sound theology. So it means they... Not, not they have to be a scholar, but they get the principles of the of the scripture. They're applying the principles of the scripture, and then their interactions with others is leading them in that direction as well. These are objective qualifications, meaning God said it, He He meant it when He said it, and we think He means it into all generations. And we need to look at these. And now listen, not everybody's going to be perfectly qualified. We all struggle, we all sin, but the, but the reality is, is these qualifications are to be reflective of their life now. It needs to be a, a collective opinion about who they are in this moment. It's what I love about the idea of restoration. Anytime I get to, to spend time with somebody who's, who's messed up, they've dropped the ball, they failed in this area or that area, and they look at me and they say, well, Kevin, am I, am, am I ever going to be able to serve again? I mean, have, have I just disqualified myself from ever being able to serve? I love being able to look at them and go, absolutely not. Because restoration is fully and complete or it's not gospel. Uh, think about Galatians 6 where it says, if, if a brother gets caught in a fault, you who are spiritual, go to them in order to restore them. Now, certainly, there could be ramifications and hurts and situations where a person is disqualified from a role of ministry in a particular location. They may have done things and hurt folks in a way that it's never going to be wise for them to serve in that role, in that place. But I don't think that means they can never serve in that way again, at least not if they're willing to be restored and open and repentant and 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 transparent and allow God to bring the healing that the gospel promises he will do if we'll simply surrender. So what that means is, is that while somebody might be qualified today, but disqualified tomorrow because of their actions, I think it also means that you can be disqualified today, but through the process of restoration, the process of God's grace, the process of the body and healing and, and the opportunities that God has afforded to us, if we'll just simply do it his way, you might be disqualified today, but find that you're qualified in the future. And all of these things are subject to God's grace, forgiveness, and transformational work. But when we come to you next week with the candidate, that we lay before you, it's going to be because we have looked at his life through those objective lenses and we are saying, this is someone that we believe manifests all of these qualifications, not to perfection, but with consistency over a period of time 
that we have watched and proven him. Objective. Now, just real quickly, and we'll be done. Some subjective things. So like as we're thinking about these, we do look at and we do consider some other things in our body before we would put someone up for, uh, for, for as a candidate. The first is desire. Do they have a desire to serve? You know, somebody can be completely qualified, but do they have a, a passion, a, 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 a motivation to be serving already? Are they already digging in and serving and, and, and leading even though they've not been appointed, proven as a leader? Unfortunately, desire can become <clears throat> a negative thing. Uh, it can become something that overrides qualification. And, and it's in the terms of like, I feel God has called me to, to pastor. Someone can have so much desire that we just automatically think, well, that's what they're going to be, but then they don't qualify. And so desire has to be put in its place. It always is secondary to qualification. The second subjective um, qualifier that, that we look at locally, unity. Does, does this person share a common ministry, vision, philosophy, theology, passion? You know, all, all churches have like a, we're all going after the same goal, but, but we can be going after it in different ways. You know, so someone might be qualified as a, as a person, as, as a potential leader, but like they see ministry going in a different direction than, than what, you know, a particular local church is. And, 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 and you can kind of tell, okay, this person is probably going to want to change the direction because they're passionate about this thing or that thing. And, and while that's good, that might not be a great fit with who we are. So we take that into consideration. Are, are we going to be unified as how we need to move forward? Third, ability. Is, is this person equipped to lead? Like, are, are they able to lead? Like, they may be qualified, but but can they physically, uh, emotionally with what they're doing? Um, <clears throat> it kind of bleeds into another one of the qualifications um, that we'll have below. Compatibility. Now, this is one that, that actually, so desire, unity, ability, compatibility. Is he compatible with the other leaders? Now, really, if he's not compatible with the other leaders, then probably what we're seeing is that that's a disqualifier up in the objective qualifiers is that there's some sort of strife or there's some sort of, you know, insistency on their own way and this, that, and the other. So it probably is just a, an indicator that they're not as qualified as we thought they were if they're not compatible. And that's a, that's a hard one to explain, but it, it is one we consider when we are looking at folks and was well, this one qualified as that one? Are, are they going to work well with the other leaders that God has put in place here? The next one is flexibility. You know, will they be able to juggle the role of, of church leadership with all of the other responsibilities that they have in their life? Are, are, are they, you know, do, do they have things going on in their life that just isn't going to make it where they're, they have very much flexibility? Um, the last is, is very similar, and that is availability. Those two working together, flexibility, availability. You know, is there something going on with, 
with maybe one of their children, maybe they have a special needs child, or maybe their their particular job is they're in a season that they're just not able to be around, and and or distances or other responsibilities or or, or sicknesses that happen in you know in their family. So all of those things are subjective. You know, we see okay, character wise, they're qualified, but but subjectively, should they be serving in that capacity? in this place or at this time. But always objective qualifications come first. The subjective things must come next. So when it comes to to what we think God's word teaches about the qualifications of a, 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 a church leader, elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, those are the objective qualifiers. First Timothy chapter number three, Titus chapter number one. And they're all character-based and they're all over time and they're all observable and they all need to be proven. So what are some of the the, the applications that you can take? Because you may be sitting there thinking, well, well Kevin, I'm, I'm a woman. So you already said I can't serve in that role here at Oasis Church. So what does this have to do with me? Or maybe you're somebody that goes, I'm just new to Oasis Church or I just became a believer. I, what does this have to do with me? Well, it it helps you because you're a part of the process. You're a, a valuable, you're a necessary part of the process of proving because you're seeing and you're watching those that we're going to put forward as a candidate and you're going to discover next week, you're going to have a part to play in this as well. But I think there's some overarching applications that we can come to all of us, even as you think about raising your children. First is these two passages in, in, in Timothy and in Titus, these two passages give us a great snapshot of, of what it looks like to, to be maturing as a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It doesn't mean that, that, you, uh, you know, that you've, you've reached some pedestal that everybody else has to bow and, and come to you because now you're there and we're here. No, it's just a snapshot of what it looks like to be following Jesus. And, and hopefully that's a consistent, ongoing, increasing. So when it comes, comes to questions like, well, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, it, it looks like putting my faith and trust in him through his death and resurrection, having my sins forgiven and be born and adopted into the family of God. And then all of these characteristics of the life of Jesus being pushed out in me through the work of the Holy Spirit. And folks are being able to see that, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of smoke and mirrors to my life and I'm self-controlled and I'm gentle and I'm not violent. And, and the life of Jesus is being lived out. This is, these are great passages for us to be able to look at and go, okay, that's what a maturing follower of Jesus looks like. And that's the goal that we're trying to help believers to move toward so that they might live out what we have in Christ. Don't forget out of Ephesians. Spent half the book talking about who we are in Jesus, but then the last half is now that we are in Jesus, then his life is to come out in us. And all of these qualifying factors are just, it ha it's how it looks. It's how it sounds. It how, it's how it feels. So that should be the desire of all of us to look at these qualifiers and go, that's what I want to be. Lord, that's, that's and, and, and wherever any of these things that I look and go, you know what? I, I, I am demonstrating some addictive behavior in this area that, you know what, that, that, that's just, that doesn't look like Jesus. I want that out. You know what? I, I am a little bit too quarrelsome. 
There's, there's not a Facebook argument I don't like to be a part of. You know what? That doesn't look like Jesus. I, I don't want to be quarrelsome or, or hospitable. You know, I'm, I've never had anyone in my home, Lord, never even thought about that. But my home is one of the best places to, to demonstrate and reflect your love. You know what, Lord? I want, I want you to, to, to shore up that area in my life. And, and looking at the arrogant, Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be quick tempered. Dads, how many of us are just on the edge, ready to snap? That doesn't look like Jesus. So these are great qualifying passages that we can go, you know what, whether I'm ever a leader or not, that's the kind of guy I want to, whether I'm ever asked to lead, that's the kind of gal I want to be. I want these to be true of my life, regardless of how God uses me to serve. The second is that every male at Oasis Church should want to be biblically qualified. You know what, I want you to be qualified to be a leader. I, I want there to be so many guys that are qualified character-wise that we could put leaders on a rotation and just see guys grow and mature and, and live out the gifts that they've been given and, 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 and just uh, uh, be the kind of leaders that, that God could make you to be. I, I, and I want to encourage you, if you're one of us and, and, and you're a male, I, I, want you to, I want you to want to be qualified. To serve. And listen, if you're married to one of these guys, I want you to want him to be able to be able to serve. I want you to, to, to want him to be qualified. Not for any status, but just so that our lives might reflect the character of Christ. And that we might as effectively as possible lead others in that direction as well. Last thing to consider. As I shared last week, we don't see in scripture that elders are chosen by the body. We see that they are appointed, they are chosen, they are identified by other elders as they seek God's leading for appointing other elders as they watch their qualification. So because we're coming at this because of qualification first, here, here are some statements that would be um, unhelpful from the body. Things like this. Well, I don't, I don't think so-and-so should be a leader. Or the opposite, well, I think so-and-so ought to be an elder. Here's why that's divisive. Because maybe there's a qualifier that, that we just see that's just not, it's just not reflective of what the scripture says. And, and we're holding back on that. And we're not putting them forward, not because we don't love them, not because they don't love Jesus, but because they're just not, they're just not qualified in an area. How inappropriate would it be for us to have to enter into a conversation of, well, I don't understand why so-and-so is not an elder. Well, because of this area in their life. And that, that's why we don't take nominations for, for this particular role. Well, I don't know why so-and-so isn't qualified. Well, because that's not our place to communicate to you why so-and-so is not qualified as we see it. Maybe they're just in a low season and things are going to change, but nevertheless, it's just kind of where we're at. Or the statement, well, I don't know why I haven't been asked to serve. Well, honestly, that's why. So that wouldn't work. Here's the last one I want you to think of, because we did identify that for the role of elder, overseer, bishop, 
pastor. Exclusive to men. But here would be a very divisive statement for you to make. And it'd be something like this. Well, if she's going to lead this, then I ain't going to be involved. Um, that just, that don't work out. Don't work out biblically and it's not going to work out with us. Um, there are a lot of churches that limit a woman's involvement to only teaching children, uh, to only uh, certain areas of, of very subordinate service. I, I've never felt that that was a biblical approach. It seems to me that only the role of elder, leader, representative leader of the local church is to be reserved for me. I want women to to serve and exercise their gifts. I want them to lead and I want them to, to be who God's made them to be in as many ways as I possibly can. And uh, so I think that would be a, a, a divisive way of looking at this. So just keep, keep that in mind. We want qualified leaders. We, we want folks to want to be qualified. We want folks to, to want to be uh, able to serve if called upon. And I think God's given us a, a, a great bar to strive after. Uh, perfection, he actually called us to strive after. But it looks a lot like these passages in First Timothy and Titus. So I know that's that for his qualifications. Next week, we're going to look at his way here. All right, so how do we boil this down together? How does that work at Oasis Church? And what does that mean? And, you know, by God's grace, we're going to lay a brand new candidate in front of you that you get to take part in the proving process, uh, especially if you're a covenant partner. So make sure that you're right here, Facebook Live, next Sunday morning. So no Wednesday night stuff this week. We're right back here on Facebook next week. And then nothing on the following Wednesday as well, just out of precaution. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to be back in uh, service on the following, the second Sunday of November. Okay? All right, cool. Well, I see that at least 30 of you guys jumped on. I imagine probably... Uh, I might be doubled if there's two of y'all in the household or tripled if you got kids. Um, I appreciate you being here and letting me talk to you for a little while. I love you. I miss you. I don't like talking to a screen that I can't see, but, uh, but it's better than nothing. So I hope, uh, I hope your time has been profitable today. I hope you have something good to eat. And uh, then I look forward to you having a great week. Again, be very cautious of any symptoms that may show up. If you've had contact with me since last Sunday, um, just be very aware of it. And uh, if, if you see anything that is out of the ordinary uh, or multiples of symptoms that even if they're mild, it, it's not going to cost you anything except an appointment at CVS and, uh, and get yourself tested just so you can be sure. So that's all I got. Guys, I love you. I appreciate the comments that you made and uh, sure am uh, sure I'm excited about uh, being able to be back together as soon as possible. So let's pray. <laughs> And then we'll go have a good morning. How about that? Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, the way that you care for us. God, thank you for um, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That uh, that that if we will submit to Him, He will He will recreate Jesus' character in us, male, female, young and old. May that be our desire, Lord, to 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 be qualified um, to look like Your Son. And uh, God, give us wisdom when it comes to, to choosing leaders, appointing them, and, and proving them. And I just thank you for 
um, just the, the the opportunity we have to to put these kinds of things to practice in 2020 as we get to uh, continue the furtherance of of gospel ministry in Winter Haven, Florida, um, in real time. God, I just thank you for that opportunity and privilege. We look forward to what's in store. Show us the way and give us the courage to stay in lockstep with you and your son, listening and leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.